Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's find our seats and we'll begin with prayer this morning. Father, thank you for gathering us this morning. Thank you that we have the opportunity to come together as a church family, Lord. May we never take that opportunity for granted. Father, thank you for how you have carried us through this past week, how you have shown your mercy to us in rich, rich ways, Lord. Your mercy in every breath that we've taken, your mercy in every conversation that we've been able to have with somebody that's helped a relationship grow, Father. Your mercy that is the Holy Spirit at work within us, Father, who comforts us, who guides us, who gives us the strength to follow you each and every day, Father. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday that you have given to us, for this Sabbath, Lord, when we get to take a moment and quiet our hearts to learn and to be together in community, Lord, with our beloved church family. We pray for open hearts, for teachable spirits this morning, as we worship, as we hear from your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, morning, Mercy Hill. My name is Alyssa Roberts and our family, my husband Matt is up there working with a tech team this morning. And then our four girls are down here and they are excited because this week they get to start school. I know many of you got to start school last week and they have been very jealous. So they are excited that this week they get to start school. And I hope that your week was a good one. We are very glad that you are here with us this morning, either in person or online. Um, it is fun and delightful to gather as a church family. Um, a couple of things that I wanna let you know about. First, when you are leaving back at this back corner, which is gonna be your right, as you're leaving, please take a copy of this. We have plenty, please take a copy of this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And I was excited when I saw this because the Eptings who are in our MC, Rebecca had mentioned this book and how much she had thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'm excited to read this book, um, but we wanted everybody to be able to have a copy of it. You'll hear more about that and I'll remind you at the end as well, but they're gonna be back at that back table when you're, when you're leaving. Um, but good morning. We are so glad that you're here and we're going to get started. Let's go. Stand with us and sing, please. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 68, 4 through 5. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. just sang a song, No Longer Slaves. There's this understanding that we are slaves to something. We're going to sing that song. That something is, is our sin, our nature. So when we sing a song like that, we have to admit that we have a need. And our need is Jesus. Our need is we can't help ourselves. And so as we move into a time of confession, before I pray, I'd like to ask you guys to think, what is the need that you have this morning? What is, the, what is the, the, the unbelief that you have this morning in, in your life? What is that moment this morning or, or last week or yesterday or just five minutes ago where you just said, I can't, I don't want to listen to you, God. I don't want to follow your ways. I want to choose my way. And you did something, said something, whatever. I want you to think about that as, as, as I pray. 
as I pray and as I lead us in, in confession. So let me ask you guys to bow your heads and let's acknowledge our need to Jesus this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know you are gracious and merciful. Your word tells us that, it is clear. You've shown that grace and that mercy through your son Jesus, who you sent to earth for sinners like me and like us. God, there are so many times where I don't believe that. There are so many times in my life where I believe to follow my way is best. To choose my path is best. To choose my desires, my fleshly desires, mighty. And I end up worshiping myself. Your word tells us that's called idolatry. You are the creator of the universe, not me. You are the creator of the universe, not us. And you sent a rescuer to earth in the name of Jesus to rescue us from that idolatry and from that, that those choices to worship ourselves. Because only you are king. So forgive us this morning as I pray and as we pray together and as we pray individually, even in this moment, forgive us for following and choosing our own, our own way. Forgive us for, for thinking we know best when, when you know all. And your word tells us that you are what's best for us. So help us to understand that. Help us to know it and help us to, to, to die to our pride, to die to that, that pride that, that, that stirs in us that says, I don't need any help. That pride that says, I don't need to confess. That pride that says, I'm okay. Show us our need for you. Because when our need is great, you are greater in any and every moment. When our need is great, your mercy and your grace is enough. So help us this morning as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look to the screen, you'll have a, a scripture, Psalm 103. And I'm going to read it slowly. This is our assurance of pardon this morning. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he, will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We're going to sing a song called 10,000 Blessings? 10,000 reasons. 10,000 reasons. We joked about it a second ago, sorry. 10,000 reasons. And as, as I just read Psalm 103, remember, there are 10,000 reasons why we worship Him and why He is good. So let's sing together.
preschool is dismissed now, uh, for the kids and frankly everybody else in the room, it's story time. So, I don't know who's up for that, but I'm a, oh, Ben. Personally, I love when Ben tells stories. It's great, so I'm excited. Good morning, you guys. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> well, kids, I'm excited to be reading y'all this story. Um, and this story is it, entitled The Singer. So hopefully y'all like singing. I like singing. I'm not particularly good at it. But um, let's listen in on this story. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 6, 9, and also in Luke 12. Wherever Jesus went, lots of people went too. They loved being near him. Old people, young people, all kinds of people came to see Jesus. Sick people, well people, happy people, sad people, worried people, lots of them. Worrying about lots of things. What if we don't have enough food or clothes or suppose we run out of money? What if there isn't enough and everything goes wrong? and we won't be all right. What then? When Jesus saw all the people, his heart was filled with love for them. They were like a little flock of sheep that didn't have a shepherd to care for them. So Jesus sat them all down, and he talked to them. The people sat quietly on the grassy mountainside and listened. And from where they sat, they could see the blue lake glittering below them and the little fishing boats coming in from the night's catch. The spring air was fresh and clear. See those birds over there, Jesus said. Everyone looked. Little sparrows were pecking at seeds along the rocky path. Where do they get their food? Perhaps they have pantries all stocked up, cabinets full of food. Everyone laughed. Who's ever seen a bird with a bag full of groceries? No, Jesus said. They don't need to worry about that because God knows what they need and he feeds them. That chicken right there, I don't know, on the last page, I had to feed the chickens this morning and they kept pecking me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not the food. And what about these wild flowers? Everyone looked. All around them, flowers were growing. Anemones, daisies, pure white lilies. Where do they get their lovely clothes? Do they make them? Or, or do they go to work every day so they can buy them? Do they have closets full of clothes for flowers? Everyone laughed. Who's ever seen a flower putting on a dress? No, Jesus said, they don't need to worry about any of that because God clothes them in royal robes of splendor. Not even a king is that well-dressed. They had never met a king before, but as they gazed out over the lake, glittering and sparkling below them, the hillsides dressed in red and purples and golds, they felt a great burden lifted from their hearts. They could not imagine anything more beautiful. Little flock, Jesus said, you are more important than birds, more important than flowers. The birds and the flowers don't sit and worry about things, and God doesn't want his children to worry either. God loves to look after the birds and the flowers, and he loves to look after you, too. 
Jesus knew that God would always love and watch over the world he had made, everything in it, birds, flowers, trees, animals, everything, and most of all, his children. Even though people had forgotten, the birds and the flowers hadn't forgotten. They still sang their song. It was the song of all God's creation. The creation had sung from him from the very beginning. It was the song people's hearts were made to sing. God made us. He loves us. He's very pleased with us. It is why Jesus had come into the world to sing them that wonderful song, to sing it not only in his voice, but with his whole life, so that God's children could remember it and join in it and sing it too. Will you all pray with me? Lord, there is a tension in each one of our hearts We're born with it, and it's there in this story that birds know you, and like Scripture shows us, flowers know your provisions, but we don't. Um, Lord, we feel that tension in our lives between the animal stuff of our bodies And this sense that we were made for something more. We don't quite believe it, Lord. We don't believe that you love us and that you made us to connect with you. And so, Lord, I just pray, send your Holy Spirit to intercede now that we might know you, that we might walk according to your word, that we might fall in love with your scripture that we might go home today and read over the Sermon on the Mount for ourselves and see all the many ways that you have blessed us, Lord. Lord, that there's blessings that go beyond any ability that we have. Even when I'm hurt or when I'm sick, you are there with blessings for me, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for this spiritual family that you've given us. I thank you for the calls to worship and to spiritual discipline that we've had through this past year, the calls to fast and the calls to serve you, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that you've called Brad to preach for us today. Lord, I pray let your Holy Spirit rest on him and that the word that he has would come from you. Not from him, but from you, Lord. And that we would be ready to receive that with open hearts, Lord, that are made that way in, the, in this life and the strength of Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I, I worship you for providing a means for us to connect, to reconnect with you, to enter into relationship with you, to have our sins forgiven, to experience salvation, Lord, and the glory of your creation made new. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning, Mercy Hill. It's good to be with you guys. I hear the tiredness in your voice, that, that weak good morning that you offered. I want to remind us, um, which by the way, if you're a guest who's here this morning, it's great that you're worshiping with us. We're really glad that you're here. My name's Brad. I'm one of the elders. And I just want to remind us that there's, there's a lot of transitions that have gone on this last week with kids either getting ready to start school this coming week or they just started school. I know in our house there's been 
A ton of transitions. I want to say thanks to so many of you who have um, loved our, our second oldest, Cole. We took him to UT Chattanooga on Wednesday and dropped him off. And uh, over the years, so many of you have encouraged him. And you, some of you have discipled him and built into his life. And we're so thankful. It was, uh, it kind of felt like, um, Psalm one, I think it's Psalm 127.4. It says, you know, that we shoot our kids out like an arrow. And um, it was exciting to leave him, but also there's some sadness and so, I was looking at this last week, and we've had, there's just a lot of transitions. And so, I want to remind you, in your family's life, transitions take time, so slow down. Like this afternoon, find a place to rest. If you know somebody who has a pool, go and swim. Like, find something to rest, okay? Uh, Mac was like going to bed at 7.30 this last week, because he's, he's playing football. And so, he had a big jamboree last night, sacked the quarterback. He's asleep back there now, but that's okay. It's transition, slow down, okay? Just a reminder for all of us. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians 1. Speaking of transitions, we're going to begin a new sermon series. We're preaching through the book of Philippians. I'm super excited about this. I want to ask you, when was the last time that you were really encouraged? When was the last time that someone spoke something in your life or did something for you and you're, you're just really blessed by it? I want you to think about that. Whatever comes to mind, turn to your neighbor and share it with them. Turn to somebody that you didn't drive here with today or turn, turn to someone near you. It's okay. You can talk in church. We're the church, not the building. You can talk. What's the last time somebody really encouraged you? First thing that comes to mind. Go. Okay. Did anybody hear some good stuff? Yeah? Jeffrey heard some good stuff. Good. So I think we all agree encouragement's really important. Um, I pulled out a file that I keep, it's about this thick, and every birthday card I get, every time someone sends me something encouraging, I just throw it in that file. And I go back and read it from time to time. I went back and read through it this week. The problem with encouragement is that we forget. We forget. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus gave us baptism and he gave us communion, is that we would remember this week we're looking at an introduction into Philippians. And if you look at Philippians, this is the sunniest of Paul's letters. Of all the letters that Paul wrote, like and you see it today in the introduction. We're only doing verses 1 and 2. But this letter is filled with encouragement. The dominant theme is joy. And so I want us to experience that today. I put on my joyful shoes today. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But my kids helped me pick them out. And I've got on my joyful shoes. So I want you to experience the joy of Jesus. Because I think it's something that we are missing in our day and time. I think we're really missing joy. I think that joy is for the most part lost in our society. We've got everything else. <laughs> We've got distraction all around us. We're constantly distracted. We've got entertainment at our fingertips. We're constantly entertained. We've got, we're even argumentative. Like we've got the socials for that, right? Facebook and Twitter. If you're not argumentative, you will be. Just get on Facebook or Twitter. We've got envy. That's what Instagram's for. Did you see their vacation, their house, their kids? Oh my goodness, their car? Like it's hard to get on Instagram and not be envious. We've got all these things in our life. We've got fear and we've got anxiety. But rarely it seems do we have joy. Joy is, I, 
I thought about this week. What is joy like? How, don't look it up, but how would you describe it? And I thought, I think joy is this, it's this sense of contentment and being at peace in the moment, no matter what our circumstances are. It's kind of like an unfading happiness that can't be taken away from us. But it's deeper than just happiness. Remarkably, Philippians, it's all about encouragement and joy. Paul writes about some other things. And he says a few hard things, but he's going to keep coming back. He's going to keep hitting the rewind button to encouragement and joy. Remarkably, Philippians was written while Paul was being held in chains. He was nearly forgotten in this sluggish legal system where he was awaiting trial to determine literally whether he lived or died. And Paul writes with all this joy. Most likely he's writing from Rome. And so today I want to introduce you to Philippians. And then I want us to look at, it's just verses 1 and 2. It's just the introduction. But I think think there's a hint at where we may be able to find joy in two words that Paul gives us in Philippians 1 and 2. If you look back at, at the setting where all of this takes place, you can flip to Acts 28 sometime and read it. In verses 30 and 31, it simply says that Paul was likely being held under house arrest. He was chained constantly to a Roman guard for two years at his own expense. I mean, if that's not a kicker. Like, and he never throws a sarcastic comment in here. Um, like, that would have been a softball. Hey, two years serving sentence for Jesus. On my own dime. And he's proclaiming the kingdom of God the entire time. He's teaching Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Seriously, under house arrest. Paul's paying for his own house arrest. I'm guessing the Roman soldiers that were chained to him, literally, for two and a half years. I'm guessing it either went one of two ways. They either came to know Jesus... And so they had these like discipleship conversations that went on or they paid each other off. They're like, I can't, I cannot sit by this dude and hear about Jesus again. Like, I will pay you to take my shift. I mean, Paul is unhindered in sharing the gospel. But it doesn't even stop there. I mean, if you really look at the setting, all of this... It led up to that from four and a half years earlier. If you look back to Acts 21, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. And so he's on like this six and a half year kind of both prison experience. But then don't miss this. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 11. And Paul describes what his years have been like. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 24. I think I have it on the screen for you. Now, don't just listen to this and go, oh yeah, Paul got beat up a lot. No. Think about if you were Paul. Listen to verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So clearly this doesn't have the kind of like, it's not the lashing that Jesus received with the whip that had bone fragments in the end of it. But hey, it's still a lashing with a whip. And I've never heard of anybody who enjoyed that, who was in their right mind, right? So five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once, by the way, just to throw in for good measure, I was stoned. Like any of this one time would be enough to produce so much trauma in our lives that we would probably doubt our faith, have questions, have PTSD, 
Paul is, he's caned, he's stoned. They left him for dead. That passage, I haven't looked back at it in a while. It's really interesting whether, did Paul, was Paul raised from the dead in that moment? Like what happened to him? Paul has suffered severely. Oh, not to mention three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Don't, mi- don't miss that. A night and a day. Think about what that would have been like. Sharks, right? You're there, you're floating on something at night. It's cold. During the day the sun's beating down on you. You're thirsty. He goes on, he says, On frequent journeys in danger from rivers. So you get across rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You just went, what do I have to complain about? (laughs) Like, when you look at Paul's life, it's amazing. All the things he suffered with. For us as Americans, let me be clear. Most of us live lives of ease. That have occasional heartache or occasional potholes that we hit along the way. But even when we do, you got a flat tire. You probably have a spare in your trunk. I'm sick. You go to the doctor. He gives you all these meds. Most Americans live lives of ease that have occasional burdens. Paul lived a life of danger and burden that rarely he experienced ease. But listen, when we hear that Paul had joy in prison, most of us are instantly washed over with shame. Most of us hear that and go, man, I should be more gracious. I should be more thankful. I should be more joyful. But from my experience, whenever we start shooting ourselves, I should do this and I should do this and I should do this, it rarely produces joy. Instead, it usually produces shame and we don't experience more joy. As I was reading through Philippians this week, I was just reminded. I believe that Paul's life is not meant to be an example for us to follow. Rather, it's an example of the power of Jesus at work in an individual who's been completely transformed. Someone who was a murderer, who was killing followers of Jesus, who saw Jesus on the Damascus Road, and his life was so transformed... He was then discipled by Jesus as he went away for, I think, seven years. We don't hear from Paul much. And his life was so transformed. I don't think this is, we need to be like Paul. That's impossible. Paul is showing us what a life that's been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like. And in that way, yes, we should be like Paul. We should be transformed by the Holy Spirit wholeheartedly transformed. Lives that are overflowing with the same type of gratitude, the same type of power, the same type of eternal perspective that Paul had. So today I want to walk us through two words and uh, look back to verses 1 and 2. I want to read through them again. And I hope these words will encourage you. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, servants. That's one word. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. That's the second word. With the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a little bit more on the setting. This is northeast Greece. It's a Roman colony. It, it was called Little Rome because it looks so much like Rome. But listen, to, to understand who Paul is writing to, this is really important so that we understand the kind of joy that he is expressing and experiencing because I think we all want that type of joy. You say, this church at Philippi, where did they come from? Who are these people? Why is Paul so joyful as he writes them? Well, every church has a story, right? I've helped to plant three churches. High Point, I was on staff there. When it started, a lot of its story here in town had to do with Todd Agnew was our music leader. And his hit, Grace Like Rain, hit number one on Christian radio. It kind of affected our church attendance. Some, a couple of you were there and you remember. That was one story. There's another story. I moved to Nashville with my best friend. And we kind of parachute planted a church. And we didn't really know many people. So we marketed. And we got 200 people there at our launch service. And we grew it down to about 45 by that summer. But that's a church planting course for another day. Then I moved here and planted this church. Our family moved here in 2011. It's been, almost, it's been 10 years since we moved back. And we planted this church in our living room. And we've seen dozens and dozens of people that we've seen God move in their life. Some have stayed, some have gone. And we grew and we met in a coffee shop on Sunday nights for two years as we were just building a core group of people who said, I'm in for Jesus. I want to learn how to follow him in the everyday stuff of life and be on mission for him. Those are stories. Paul's story is so unique. If you go back to Acts 16, you'll see that Paul's story in planning the church at Philippi, listen to this crazy story. This is how it goes. Paul is trying to go to Asia and God says no. And he's trying to go somewhere else and God says no. And have you ever noticed sometimes in your life when you're praying and you're asking God for direction. You're saying, God, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do this? God doesn't give you the answer immediately. Sometimes he just says no. And he makes you wait because he does his best work in our waiting oftentimes. He tells Paul no. And then Paul gets a vision of a man from Macedonia, which I'm going to come back to this in a minute. But listen, I grew up Southern Baptist. We're not supposed to believe in visions. But I've been reading through the book of Matthew, and now I'm reading Paul's life. And I, I'm just seeing visions all over the Bible. And God is using visions to tell people what they're to do. And I think we're kind of missing out on something if we throw visions or dreams out the window. So I think we need to be aware. I'm not saying you need to receive a vision from God to tell us to come and change something in Scripture. I'm not even saying that I'm sure that I want to hear a vision that you had for me. Maybe. But we need to be open to the fact that God can speak to us in any way at any time. So maybe he could give you a vision that he would have you to speak into my life. Paul receives a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come and help. Come and help. And so he determines that this means that God desires for them to share the gospel in Philippi. And he and Silas run and jump on a ship. And then you see all these connections they make. It's kind of like an airport. You know, where they, you, you, you hit one connection, you hit another. They take a series of ships until they get to Philippi. And while they're there, they begin to pray. And they're saying, okay, God, you directed us here through that vision. What do you want us to do? And after a series of days... They hear about a group of women who are meeting outside the city by the river. 
not down by the river in a van, just by the river. Um, some of y'all were looking a little asleep there. I'm just trying to wake you up. So they're meeting by the river, and there's a lady named Lydia who's a seller of purple, and she's a believer. She's a worshiper of God. And so they share the gospel with her, and sure enough, she, she says, I'm, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And she says, come to my household. Share this with my family. And on the way, there is, this is church planning story, okay? Demons come around during church planning. Believe me. Uh, on the way, there is a woman or a, a girl who's possessed by a demon. And she is a fortune teller. And she says, these are servants of the Most High God. She is predicting people's fortune. And she is correct in saying that. But she follows Paul and Silas around for a few days. And Paul is, she's like distracting. Uh, he becomes annoyed. He, Paul casts the demon out of this girl. At which point, her the person who owns her is very upset because he's just lost all income. There's a mob scene takes place. Paul and Silas are taken into jail. There's this whole thing, this whole thing that happens. This is how the church at Philippi was planted. Paul and Silas, in their joy, are beaten. They're placed in stocks. So ankles and wrists, they can't move. They continue preaching the gospel and singing late into the night. Scripture says there is an earthquake that releases them. The doors open. Their stocks fall off of them. And the jailer says, well, that's it. I'm gonna he pulls his sword out. He's ready to kill himself because all the prisoners are going to be gone. And he's going to be put to death. So he's just going to go ahead and do it. And Paul shouts out, no, we're all here. Through Paul's joy, he has gained so much influence with the prisoners that no one leaves. And the jailer is overwhelmed. He takes them back to his home. He washes them of their wounds that they received from their beating. He hears the gospel. His whole family follows Jesus and they're baptized that night. It's an incredible story. Like, this is how God plants churches through his spirit. What kind of strategy is this? Like, we're going to hear a vision. We're going to jump on a bunch of ships. We're going to go somewhere we've never been before. We're going to walk around until we find some people who are open to the gospel. We're going to share the gospel with them, cast out a demon, be beaten, be joyful, see a whole other guy. I'm guessing the jailer and his family are some of the people that Paul is writing to in this letter. I bet that guy, don't you think that he probably joined the church in Philippi? He's writing to Lydia. He's writing to people that he has had intense and intimate moments with because that's what God does through his spirit when he works in our life that is where Paul is at as he writes that's the context that we explore in this book he is overflowing with encouragement and joy and all of that for me you say that's a long introduction not really introduction, it's most of the message. Don't get worried, get you to lunch on time. But all of that is like, how does Paul have this overwhelming joy in the midst of all that? Two words I want us to look at. Two words, slaves and saints. I want to just take the last few minutes and examine the theology and the attitude behind both those words. As Paul very descriptively and very purposefully calls himself a slave of Jesus. In our day, it's difficult to even talk about slavery. It seems impossible that that word could have any kind of positive connotation as it relates to the Christian life. But Paul considers himself with all humility to be a servant or a slave of Jesus. It's the Greek word doulos. He actually substitutes this word for the usual title of apostle. So he usually says Paul the apostle. 
But here he says, Paul the slave. So understand Paul's position for a minute. He's been in prison for years. He's awaiting the news of whether or not he will live or die. And in the midst of his uncertainty, he doesn't feel the need to remind his readers that he's the great apostle Paul. Instead, he sets the example in all humility of being a slave. Of being a slave to Christ Jesus. Surely this has to be connected somehow to the unusual and extreme joy that he experiences. The word Paul uses here is doulos in the, in the original Greek. Um, it's the word bondservant, which actually does mean slave. And it's tough to know when we translate it, should we use bondservant or slave or should we use servant Servant in the English probably makes the most sense to us because slave carries such a negative connotation. But literally, he was saying, I'm a slave. A slave is assigned an even lower position than a servant. In the first century, a servant would have owned their possessions and they really would have served for a specific task. So it would have been something specific that they were, they were serving in order to accomplish. But a slave actually belonged to his master. A servant would have been hired for a specific project. And then they would be able to return home to their normal life. That's not the case with a slave. A slave actually belonged to his master. Like a piece of property. He didn't have a life of his own. Further, a slave didn't own anything he was entirely dependent upon his master to meet all his needs. He couldn't travel. He was entirely dependent upon his master for his master's consent. His entire life existed to please his owner. And it was God's pleasure to purchase each of us. Each of us who would by faith repent and follow Jesus all our days with all our life. God loved us so much that he bought us with the priceless gift of his son Jesus. Think about that. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says it well. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty... Might become rich. Steve Lawson says it this way. The master who died out of love for his bondservants. Is neither restrictive nor an imposition. It's a privilege and a joy. For the great paradox is that such slavery brings freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from futility. Freedom from death. The chief aim of Paul's whole life was to please the Lord Jesus Christ. This humble yet wonderful position is not restricted to Paul and Timothy. Every believer in Christ is designated as his slave. To be sure, no slave ever had a more benevolent master than do we. He freely provides every grace we need to live abundantly. But our master, he is. Slaves to Jesus. So what in the world does that mean in a street level? Like on Monday morning. Well, what does that mean that we would be slaves to Christ? I think it has to, it has to begin with surrender. 
And that's one of the hardest things for us. I mean, as I think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in America, it is almost impossible to be a follower of Jesus in America. Because we live in a country that is so filled with individual thinking that is all about our rights. And Jesus says, no, if you want to live in real freedom, if you want to live in real joy, you give your rights up. You don't live as an individual. You live as a child of God. And so for me, what that looks like is I have to surrender regularly. And it's usually small things, to be honest, because God's always at work around us. And so for me, uh, it's important that I learn to listen and obey. We'll never follow Jesus and we'll never experience joy in our life until we learn how to regularly and daily listen and obey. And it usually comes in small things like opening up my calendar and saying, God, here's all the things that I could do and here's all the things that I think I should do. Now, God, what would you have to say about my calendar? God, what would you have to say about the interruptions that come along in my life that honestly, I oftentimes in my flesh think I don't have time for, but that the Spirit whispers, just stop and listen. This person needs something. It's the text messages or emails that God prompts me to send or the prayers that He prompts me to pray for someone. We'll never learn to live joyful lives without learning what it means to surrender daily to Jesus and to listen and obey. Hey, maybe that might even mean a dream or a vision. God's always at work around us. He's asking us to join Him. When we join Him, we experience joy. I think we think that joy comes from laying on a beach with a cold drink in our hands. And listen, folks, I got nothing against that, right? But it's never enough. It's never enough. True joy comes when we let go of our lives and begin listening to the Spirit of God and following Him in obedience. That's when we experience the grace and peace of Jesus that Paul talks about in verse 2. So I don't know what that looks like for you. I, I think I have a pretty good idea what it looks like for me. But in this stage of life, this week, where you have a lot of transitions going on, what does it look like for you? Just listen to the Spirit. He's going to speak to you. What does it look like for you to surrender? And what does it look like for you to experience the joy that He desires you to experience as you walk with Him, as you listen to Him, as you walk in obedience? The second word will also help. And I want to end with this. Paul says that we are saints in Christ. Paul identifies all believers, not just in Philippi, but throughout all of time, he identifies them as saints in Christ Jesus. Saint is the most common word Paul uses to identify believers all throughout the scriptures. I wonder, do you feel like a saint? Do you think of yourself as a saint? I mean, to be a saint means that through grace, we no longer live a life of pursuing sin, right? Because of grace, like the world and the culture all around us are filled with evil, but Christians are called to live morally pure lives. We're saints. And Paul will go on to talk about that in Philippians 2, chapter 15. We'll look at that in a few weeks. In which he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. 
among whom, listen to this, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I love that, that we, we shine as lights. We look distinctly different than the culture around us. You teach distinctly different than the other teachers who are around you. You're not there for your own selfish gain, teachers. You're there pouring into the children and you're serving Jesus. And if your earthly boss throws all this stuff on you that's overwhelming, that you look at and you go, there's no possible way that I can meet their expectations, you say, Jesus, that's okay. I don't have to do all this. I'm going to meet your expectations. That does just use teachers as an example because so many of you are overwhelmed right now or getting ready to, to go back to school. But as you think about this, we live different lives. Do you view yourself as a saint? Jesus' work on the cross means that we are now reconciled to God. And so we view ourselves as a saint not because of how we act. We view ourselves as a saint because of how Jesus sees us. That there is no greater news. Listen to Paul's words. I want to, I want to, um, I'm almost done, but I want to read this slowly. I want you to hear this. This is how God sees you as a saint. Listen to Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Listen to this good news. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Through him we have also obtained access by faith. Into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. We were the ungodly. If you wonder if God loves you, listen to these words. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still unrighteous, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, not by our works, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him through, from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I think too many Christians spend too much of their lives doubting God's love for them. Wondering whether they're enough or if God truly likes them. It's Martin Luther who helped us to best understand this. In his Latin phrase. Simul justus et peccator. That we are simultaneously saints and sinners. You look at your life and you go. How could God possibly love me? Much less like me. Look at the way that I treat my spouse. Look at the way that I treat others. I'm a sinner. 
And God sees that and he sees us and he judges us according to Jesus' work. And he says, but while you see yourself as a sinner, I see you as a saint. What amazing truth that we would be saints of God. This should cause us to repent quickly of our sin. This should cause us to preach the gospel to ourselves regularly whenever we're covered in shame or whenever we're wondering if God loves us or whenever we sped through our quiet time that morning and we're wondering, is God really with me? (laughs) Did that work? The answer is no, it didn't work, but the cross does. We should repent quickly. We should preach the gospel to ourselves. This should cause us to preach the gospel to ourselves whenever we feel unworthy that we have been good enough or done enough because we can't. I just want to remind you, you can never do enough. You can never be good enough. It's only through the cross of Jesus that we're forgiven. It's only through the cross of Jesus that we're accepted. It's only through the cross of Jesus that we're loved and we are liked. That there's no amount of good works or devotional life or giving that can ever save us. Only Jesus in the resurrection. And so this should cause us to rejoice that God loves us. And he likes us. And more importantly, both Christ is in us. But the majority of the time in the scriptures, Paul would say that we are in Christ. And he doesn't plan on letting us go. I just want to ask you as we, as we look into the book of Philippians... As you think about your week to come, do you live like a saint? Do you think of yourselves as a saint? That's how God sees you. In his book, The Indwelling Life of Christ, Ian Thomas. By the way, if you're looking for a good devotion, if you're like, hey, I just need something to read that points me back to the scriptures in the morning. It'll take like five minutes. Jot this title down, The Indwelling Life of Christ by Ian Thomas. He He was born back in 1923. Really, really good. He tells a story. He tells a story of a man who runs out of gas. He's out of gas on the side of the road and another man stops to help him. The man's desperate. The man says, hey, I've got a tow rope in my car. I could, I could pull you to the next gas station. The man says, that'd be wonderful. He's so thankful. He pulls him to the gas station. He profusely thanks him. He says, you know, you, you saved me. I'm so thankful. He fills, his ga- he fills his car up with gas and realizes... In great embarrassment, I don't have any cash and I don't have a credit card. The man said, once again, no problem. I can pay for your gas. What does this sound like? Doesn't this sound like you paid a debt you did not owe because he owes a debt he couldn't pay? So he pays the debt for this man that the man couldn't owe because the man owed a debt for his gas and he couldn't pay it. Now, what would it be like? Doesn't that sound like repentance? Doesn't that sound like the gospel? What would it be like if you were that man who helped him out and as you cranked your car and pulled out of the gas station, you saw the man pushing his car out of the gas station? What would you say? Wouldn't you go back to him and say, what's wrong with you? Crank the car up. Are you a fool? I pulled you here. I put gas in your car. You didn't even have to pay. I paid for the gas. Get in the car and drive, man. Go somewhere. Jesus is telling us, get in the car and drive. I've done it all. Stop pushing your salvation. Stop trying to do it. It can't be accomplished. You are a slave to Christ and you are a saint of the Most High God. We live into our salvation.
We walk in light of our salvation. Jesus says, go and live in this manner. I'm going to invite you, join together with your missional communities. If you don't know what a missional community is, just small groups who meet throughout the week in homes. You're going to see some little circles forming up. We invite you to take communion together. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you know that Jesus has saved you from your sin, if you've recognized that He is the King, and that you believe that His death on the cross rescues you from sin, and that you have repented of your sin and given Him your life, and through His resurrection, He offers forgiveness and life to us. If that's your belief, we welcome you to join us in taking communion together. Join together with your missional communities. Be reminded of the gospel. Have someone declare the gospel over you and be reminded. We are slaves to Christ. And we are saints of Jesus. Come and worship at his table. Find a circle and join in. As you guys are wrapping up communion, um, I just want to pray for us and then um, we're going to sing one last song. So if you would, um, just bow with me in in a closing prayer and I'm going to invite the band up for one last song. God, we thank you that we can find joy in the midst of any circumstances. And God, I just, uh, I come just with a heavy heart today. God, I want to lift up Gina Neal and their family. Think about Scott, he's 49. Uh, died from COVID this weekend, pastor down in Olive Branch. And um, God, I'm just so surprised to hear that. I know his kids are grieving. And God, I know that's just one example of a host of people that we all know. And so God, we pray for those who are sick. God, we pray that you would restore their health. God, we pray that you would bring an end to this pandemic. God, we pray that in the midst of um, all the starts and stops and Um, God, just all the inconvenience and uh, God, all the times in which COVID has and will continue just to interrupt us. God, we pray that we could bring our hearts to you. God, that we could trust in you with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. God, I pray for the nation of Haiti that had an earthquake, um, 7.0 earthquake this last weekend. There in 2010 and just saw the devastation from that earthquake. God, we love the people of Haiti. One of my family members is from Haiti. And so, God, I love that nation. And God, we pray for believers there. God, I pray for Ronald, a pastor I know there. And I pray that you would fill him with courage. There in 2010, he didn't even have a, all he had was, he didn't even have a tent. He didn't even tell us till the end of the week. He asked if he could have one of our tents. Oh God, how much we have to learn. God, we pray for those who are in Afghanistan, those believers who are suffering. Um, God, we pray for Afghan people who will be relocated here to Memphis. I know there's 17 households that will be relocated here. God, we pray that they would hear the gospel. Pray that you would give us opportunities to welcome the least of these, to welcome refugees. You tell us, you talk about that all throughout the Old Testament, God. Pray for the nation of Afghanistan. God, we pray for U.S. soldiers who gave their lives there and who uh, struggled there for 20 years. We pray for their hearts as there's so much unrest. God, you're the one who can bring joy. We give our hearts to you. God, we lay down our lives and we surrender to you. 
God, all these uncertainties, the questions that we have, God, we find grace and peace with you as we're reminded because of Jesus, we're your saints. God, help us to believe that. God, help us to walk in joy this week. Help us to walk with gratitude and humility and thankfulness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Mercy Hill family, it's been such a joy to gather with you this morning. Um, I've got just a couple of announcements, but when Brad was asking us to share encouragement with somebody around us, I was reminded how much encouragement comes from the people who are gathered here and gathered online from our Mercy Hill family. So thank you. Thank you for who you are to Matt and to me and to our girls. Um, it's just, it's a joy to be with you. Earlier I mentioned this book gentle and lowly. Okay, so make sure you grab a copy as you were leaving. We would love for everybody who can read to have a copy. Um, and when I mentioned it before, I told you that I'd heard, first heard about it in my MC. If you're new here and you don't know, an MC is a missional community. And that's just a group of people who are doing life together, studying God's Word. Um, because of the growth in our MCs, we actually have a couple of new MCs that are forming. So this is a great time if you are new or if you've been around for a while and you haven't gotten plugged into an MC yet, we would love to talk to you. Come and talk to Matt and me, talk to the Stiglers, to the Stewarts, to the Dunlaps, to Richard. We would love to talk to you about an MC and getting plugged into one of our missional communities. As well, this week you are going to get an email and um, it's going to have two important things in it. One, it's going to have ways for you to get plugged in volunteering around here. We have so many different areas for our family to serve other members of our family. We have our tech team. You can serve with my handsome husband. We have um, our hospitality, hospitality team out front as they are welcoming people who are coming. We have our kids ministry, which is my personal favorite. Um, and then we have uh, the people who help keep our gathering spot clean and orderly. So please be looking for that in your email. Find a place that you would really like to plug in and help give back to our family. Secondly, on that email, you are going to see about Saturate the South, which is happening on September 18th. There's going to be a promo code in that email that will get you a big, big discount. So if you would like to be a part of Saturate the South, we would love to have you here um, for that important thing. We're going to be growing as leaders, growing as followers of Christ. But that's September 18th. It's going to be in your email and look for that promo code um, so that you can save a little bit of money. Um, would you join me in extending your hands for our benediction this morning? It comes from Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.